I think as a placemaker or wherever you are creating change, you have to be humble. This idea that you have the energy to change is a privilege. It's a privilege that is given to you. And if you have it, feel absolutely blessed. But you have to, you can't judge other people for not having it and not seeing what you see. I think if you have that privilege, you're also obliged to encourage others, but you can't judge them. Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms and also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Afri. Afri is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. the pleasure to welcome you frederick to urbanistica podcast hey and welcome thank you thank you so much for having me how are you doing frederick i'm okay i'm uh, um i think uh, it's inevitable not to talk about the pandemic in these uh, situations and i've realized that i'm a very analog person i thought i was a futurist a digital dude but it turns out that i'm a very conservative analog middle-aged man <laughs> so you're not gonna survive without meeting people uh not eventually, so let's hope this goes away soon. Yeah, it was a long time since we met last time. When was I think? I think almost uh, almost a year ago in wow. physical shape. Yeah, yeah. But uh, finally, you're here and I'm happy. Thank you for giving your time to record this episode. Thank you for having me. So, Frederick, as you know, this is in collaboration with Placemaking Europe and you're one of the great board members in Placemaking Europe. How would you like to introduce yourself and please tell us about your passion? Well, the way I like to uh, uh, think of myself is that I I am a I'm a placemaker at heart. I'm an activist before I'm am, before I'm anything else, and I view the world with only one pair of eyes. That being said, I view it from different perspectives. I view it from my role uh, as a board member of Placemaking Europe. That's one perspective. I view it from the perspective of running an organization called Gladstad in Sweden. So that's a little bit of a professional uh, perspective. I'm also uh, an elected uh, politician here in Sweden, Stockholm, and I was uh, the former vice mayor, uh, but I'm currently on the regional and county council. So that's a different perspective. But I think uh, at the end of the day, I view the world and I want to... Uh, so I, I, I want to make a difference in the best way possible, but at the end of the world, I am a placemaker at heart. All in with, as a placemaker. I think it, for me personally, it derives from uh, growing up uh, mostly as a skateboarder. I, from a very young age, I uh, roamed the streets of my city, so to speak, looking for spots to skate and always being... Uh, told off by uh, various authorities where we could skate and where we couldn't. But uh, we just wanted to have fun and make the streets into our own, if only for 30 minutes or so. So I think that was my starting point in life. And I think I've built on it ever since. Yeah. So you grew up in Stockholm? Yes. So what did you like? Tell us more about your educational journey as well. Well, um, 
I grew up in Stockholm, and I also grew up uh, with a grandfather who was a chef. So I grew up in 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 a family where food mattered. So I started working in restaurants from a very young age, from the age of say eleven, twelve. And by the time I reached uh, twenty, I'd been working full time almost eight years on weekends and evenings. But uh, I also spent time in the states, where I went to high school, and uh, I. W- had my formal education in Sweden, but moved on to England for university. So academically, I'm an economist, uh, but I also focus on uh, uh, social issues. Mm-hmm. So where where did you learn to skate? Uh, I, to be honest, I don't think I've learned it yet. <laughs> I think it's an uh, I, I think it's a life process. Yeah. But um, I first started skating as most kids do outside your outside your house, wherever there was uh, pavement, basically. But uh, we used to go into the central parks of Sweden where there used to be a mini ramp and we'd find the odd uh, parking lot. There's a a very famous, uh, almost luxury hotel in Sweden called the Sheraton Hotel. And they have a parking lot which is very famous for skateboarding. (laughs) Uh, So basically I grew up in in various shady parking lots of Stockholm. (laughs) Are you still skating? Now? I am. I am. You do. Um, I think I uh, I switched it to uh, snowboarding, and now that I live further away from the mountains, I try to do a lot of surfing, uh, even in the winter time. But I skate on a regular basis. Uh, but I like to call it skate shy. I'm very shy <laughs> of skateboarding in front of people now these days. But I do it um, at least on a on a monthly basis. This is very interesting. Uh, I actually didn't know that about you. So this is something cool to know. So when did your story start with pacemaking? I think uh, I've always been interested in working with public space, but I think the the it really kicked off for me uh, roughly 10 years ago in 2010. Uh, I had just become uh, elected into politics. And I was sort of gathering my thoughts and consolidating my ideas in order to make them professional. And I basically looked at what I've been doing for a very long time. And uh, the first thing that I had the pleasure of working with in politics was um, uh, the permit to allow for food trucks in, in Stockholm. It was one of the first things that I helped introduce in the city. And while I was doing that, I really, really thought about how cities, how cities are, should be built on democracy and how if a democracy works, it means that people living in cities should have more, more to say about what happens on the streets. So I started uh, this organization called Gladstad, and I actually did it based on a notion that through various tools, you can change the perception, the activity of a place. And at the time I was living in southwest central Stockholm in an area called Hornstull. And when I moved to Hornstull, there used to be a street market there called uh, Street, which was a very popular market. People would come from all over the city to attend this, to attend this uh, street market, which was the first of its kind. It was the kind of market that you see if you go to boroughs and, for example, London and New York, and w- where it's a regular thing. But in Stockholm, you don't get it as much. But when that market closed, uh, the uh, the area changed. The cafes, the restaurants, the shops that sort of uh, 
survived because of the influx of people each weekend for the market uh, s- closed down, basically, gradually closed down. And uh, I wanted to see if it was possible to revitalize the community in the same way. Mm. So when starting Lodstad, we also started uh, a, a weekend market called Hornstull's Market. Um, and uh, we managed to do just that. We managed to revitalize the community. And today it's the largest uh, street market in Stockholm where we welcome 1.5 million uh, visitors every year. Not so much 2020, but we look forward to yeah, doing it again. I love it. So from that time you you had this reflection, oh, that could be something to change to make the city more livable. Yes. By the way, what does a glad, glad start mean? Uh, it means happy city. Uh, and I think that's basically what it is. We... We strive to make cities happier. We're not so much a uh, uh, report consultant writing agency. We uh, focus on operative efforts uh, in the community, in the cities, uh, placemaking essentially to make things happen. Yeah, it's very interesting because from like your background, educational background, people think placemaking only for architects, planners, and so on. You know, people with the field of urban development, the real one, you know. But I see it's very diverse now. It- I think, uh, I have to be honest, I haven't always used the term placemaking. I started off using the term place activa- activa- activation, which would, for me, uh, intellectually derive from uh, the activist's role in cities. So place activation would be sort of a play with words. It's kind of activist. It's not entirely legal, uh, but it's also an activation of an area. Mm-hmm. So if we continue the journey, how did you meet Placemaking Europe or how did your story start? Well, we met through, uh, through, the, net, through the network of friends and colleagues, basically. I think uh, I was humbled to, uh, to be approached uh, through uh, Steepo uh, for the first time just to uh, exchange ideas about what's being done in the Nordic countries in terms of placemaking and uh that was the that was a journey i'm sure uh, you've had i think you've had uh, a guest on on the pod named ragnar lund who is an academic here in uh, sweden and he um, also helped me a lot introducing this uh, international network so that's how you become part of the network yes and obviously uh when you meet people and you exchange ideas and realize that you have the same view of the world <laughs> it helps and now you're one of the board members. Yes, which is amazing. I think it's, uh, for me, it's uh, extremely rewarding to be part of a global community of placemakers. Mm. What do you do? What do you have as a responsibilities? Well, uh, I focus uh, a little bit extra, of course, on the Nordic countries. But uh, coming from what I do in terms of policy making, I also... I'd like to think that I add a little bit to uh, to the conversation in terms of my experiences as a politician as well. Because mm. now, because now I also want to talk more about your your part of the politics here in Sweden. T- tell us more about what do you do? Um, well, I started off in 2010, like I mentioned, just um, uh, uh, where I focused on labor market issues in the county. Uh, but I think uh, after the t- 2018 election, I became almost full-time. Uh, and my focus now is that I'm on the county council and I'm on the regional council. 
Uh, I am responsible for uh, city planning, for for zoning issues, for example, for um, uh, for my party. Uh, I'm also the chair of the board for Ports of Stockholm, so I'm in charge of uh, all the docks and harbors in the Stockholm region. Uh, I'm the chair of the board to SGA Real Estate, SGA Fastigheter, which is uh, our large arenas here in Stockholm, Globen, the Globe, and Tele2 Arena, and other arenas, for example. So it's um, uh, it's uh, quite a responsibility. Mm. And I'm also in charge of cultural affairs for my party in the region. Yeah. Do you find it difficult to be in the politician and a lot of negotiation? I think if I wasn't a placemaker, uh, I don't think I would have survived politics because I actually think that some processes should be slow and some should be fast. I think there's, there's something positive about political change being a little bit slower because you need to get everyone on board. It has to be a good democratic process. You have to completely eliminate the idea of corruption, for example. And uh, sometimes things take a little longer to change. And I think, uh, I think that's the realm of politics. Mm. But I would absolutely die if it didn't go fast sometimes. So that's <laughs> why I thoroughly enjoy being uh, uh, a placemaker as well. I think through my work at Gladstad, I can have an idea in the morning and realize it in the evening. <laughs> but tell me, like as a placemaker, did you enter the, 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 as a, the politic because you want to contribute to the placemaking movement or why, why you become a politician? I think when I, when I discussed this with my fellow uh, colleagues in politics, regardless of where I am in the world, I think the common denominator is that we feel we have to contribute. We have something to say, but we don't. We we accept that change comes from comes from comes from you. Basically, we can't sit around and expect things to change for the benefit of how we feel the world the world should change. We have to contribute. Mm. And I think it's uh, both as a placemaker and as a politician, it's about contribution. And I also feel that it helps me uh, remove maybe some of the anger I feel whenever there is change in, in the world. I think we've just come through a um, very rowdy uh, election in the States uh, where you, have, where I've followed, I'm, all of us have followed the aftermath and especially the storming of uh, uh, the incident in the capital and i think these sort of this sort of tension exists in the world and uh, i i want to be on the right side of history when history is being written and i want to be part of the change i don't want to be uh slouching in my sofa hoping for the world to become mm. a better place i would like to know that i at least tried to do my part at the end of the day yeah as the common quote, be part of the solution. I think just be part's good enough. <laughs> you never really know until the end if it's about the solution or not. I think uh, history has taught us that. Mm -hmm. So how can placemaking empower democracy in developing cities? We talked a, a little bit before, and you mentioned to me, it's that kind of the contract between the city authorities, stakeholders, people. Can you explain to me more your, your philosophy or ideas about this? I think 
placemaking has the opportunity to try different things, to try different solutions, to invite various kinds of people with various kinds of background to try anything, anywhere, basically. Whereas in politics or in city planning, you don't always have that option. I think you feel you don't have you don't feel that you're empowered to have the option of ch- creating change in your own city. So I think it's to me it's about thresholds. I think the threshold to change laws to contribute a city is much higher than if you have a um, a, a local organization or a or a group of people or friends basically who have an idea of what something simple they want to do in their neighborhood. And I think they should be allowed to change that. And I think, I honestly think that that type of change is also more organic. You try something, it seems that it works, you can build on it. And gradually you you want to build that into policy. But if you start policy, uh, on, the, on the policy side, chances are that you will be introducing policies that's not going to work or maybe you won't, you, you don't want to get the traction that you're hoping and how is it now in in Sweden? Can we say that placemaking is it a a normal part of developing cities or not yet? Do we have this mindset? I think there's something to be said about how cities and societies work and how they don't work. I think where you get the uh, uh, most vivid examples of successful placemaking is perhaps where the cities failed. I think uh, a reoccurring example is Bryant Park. But to be honest, Bryant Park is a fantastic example of placemaking, but it's also a good example of when a city breaks down, when a city does not deliver on their promises, when a city doesn't deliver on safety, keeping parks open, etc. So the community comes in and does something about it. I think uh, we're fortunate uh, in Sweden that society works relatively well. We have relatively well-managed parks, relatively well-managed cities. So uh, there's the idea of placemaking as movement is a little bit different because the majority of the people living in cities expect the cities themselves to, to fix the problems. Yeah, to they, deliver. Yeah. They, they don't really see that they can go into a park and add gardening or, or grill, guerrilla gardening or uh, introduce ideas for their kids because... The sort of norm is that you write to the council and you wish for these things. It's uh, less common to uh, to roll up your sleeves and do it yourselves. Mm. And uh, and I obviously subscribe. I subscribe to the latter, but I can see why it's been a little bit slower in Sweden, and it's not necessarily just a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So you, as from your work with Gladstad, do you see that? Is it easy for you to, to do it? organized thing to to re do things in in the places or is it tough like talking about different administration thing policies how is it i think um, for me personally um, it's very important to keep my roles separate when i'm in politics and when i'm in gladstad and one of the re- one of the ways i keep it separate is that whatever we do in gladstad we do through private financing we don't do anything through public fi- funding uh, to uh, just to, to avoid any sort of confusion. And obviously, when you have to find private funding for each idea, it takes a little bit of time. But on the other hand, when you find private funding, you are likely to 
introduce ideas that you can work on in a longer perspective. And what we've decided to do is that we build in sort of a business model into what we do. Uh, we try to make some kind of a revenue where we are. Say that we work with a park. Maybe we build in a little cafe that we run ourselves just to get that little extra uh, funding to realize the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we also do consultancy-based work, real estate companies, for example. But I think um, I think funding is uh, something that is a little bit unique for Gladstad since we only operate in private funding. But then again, we're not we're a non-profit company. Yeah, are are the community or are the Swiss people in Sweden open to such kind of placemaking pop-up activities, or what do you think? I think most people are open to anything that's fun and simple to activate and to ex- to access. Uh, and not everyone is interested in in the intellectual explanation as to why it's there. They just think it's nice that it's there. And and when you start talking about the why, as in place, creating a place as a tool to obtain certain goals, you lose maybe eighty percent of your audience. But <laughs> but the rest of the twenty that's there, they love it. They love the idea that you can intellectualize the progress cities. Yeah. When I look now on the placemaking in the Nordic and compare it to the south of Europe, I see there is it's not the same, you know, like as you mentioned before, maybe the city deliver what they should do. So maybe there's not this big need of uh, doing things on places. But do you think that there are other challenges or other point of views that we cannot really do a real placemaking here? Like the critical mass, we don't have so many people around the place maybe i think it's a little bit about the representation in the sort of place making community i think there's a which is i think is fantastic there's a very large number of people in the place making community in sweden that aren't originally from sweden they've sort of adopted the uh, the idea of place making and brought it to sweden so i think uh, So I think it's more of a global concept uh, and less so a Swedish one. But I think it's growing in Sweden because it's a global con- uh, concept. It's a it's a different way of thinking. Why well, why ask someone to plan for you when you can plan yourself? Even though it seems like a straightforward idea, it's relatively new new to the majority of Swedish minds. Mm. So, Frederick, do you? encourage people to be part of politics? I encourage everyone to participate in anything. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, participation, participatory actions are what creates true democracy. I think democracy in politics is just one uh, area where democracy is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, But obviously, I think if you are serious about wanting to be part of change the political side and the tool and the tool belt of politics is important and i th- i encourage people to try politics out it's it's not for everyone uh, but it's definitely worthwhile trying mm. what what are the challenges that you're facing now because you mentioned you have two positions like in the politic and then Frederick Gladstad placemaker so what are the challenges that you're facing with having the two roles. 
I actually, um, uh, I keep it simple. When we do placemaking projects, I normally stay out of Stockholm. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, it, it sounds, it may sound simple, but it's, um, the roles aren't, they, they, they don't collide much uh, because what we do at Cloudstart, we, we do for, for ourselves almost. We do it in, in collaboration with real estate companies maybe, but the ideas are uh, for ourselves and the community. And, uh, it's a very, very small portion of what, what, I, what, what I do. So I, um, uh, I have to sometimes step out of the room. Maybe there's a, a decision on a zoning uh, errand where I can't be involved in the decision. Maybe we've uh, uh, asked to participate in a festival or similar where you need some kind of permit, which is, which is being decided on a higher level. Obviously, I have to leave the room and not be part of that decision. But you just have to be thorough when you do your reading and make sure that your agendas don't collide. Mm. Do people in the political side always tell, ah, Frederick, the placemaker, the annoying one? <laughs> or do they respect what you do? I think, I think they respect what I do. I think uh, uh, people in the opposition uh to my own party think but you like what we do normally but when you're in this role you seem to like everything that we hate <laughs> uh but it's they, they, politics is politics and they put a smile on their face and i think i'm not you know i'm, I'm not an arms dealer we I, I i we have a relatively gentle i get an inclusive agenda mm-hmm. so what are your goals for the placemaking europe what do you have 2021 I think uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, activity and uh, passion in placemaking in the Nordic countries, especially now. There are so many great initiatives, and it would be wonderful to contribute to uh, well to to finding more ways within the network to interact, but also between. Other network settings exist, and how we can collaborate on uh, future projects or uh, future conversations about how to put placemaking higher on the agenda. Mm. Um, but I think 2021, I'll set, I'll settle for just meeting up. <laughs> what is your dream about placemaking? I think there's there's no more profound feeling that I love more than creating something out of nothing. When you literally have a blank paper and you create something, I think this is something that I come back to a lot in placemaking. I look for abandoned areas. I look for problematic places. I look for uh, spots where people get, um, which are socially problematic. And I take that place and uh, play with it in my mind and see what could it be instead? How can you make this into an attractive, uh, inclusive, and welcoming area? Mm. And I think it's... Uh, I, I, I allow myself to dream small and big. I think I can walk past a park, just a little pocket park, and, and picture something taking place there. But I could also, you know, when I'm um, not so much traveling this year, but when I'm flying and looking down the window and I see, like, an abandoned factory through... Uh, from 30,000 feet up and I tell myself like wouldn't that be amazing to make that into a large festival area or 
think the idea of taking nothing into something, but also to show deci- uh, decision makers that place making matter. I think we have a lot of social uh, issues very high on the agenda. Uh, exam- ex- for example, gang-related shootings and uh, poverty and the lack of integration in Swedish society. I th- I honestly think that placemaking as a tool for uh, creating a platform to meet, to gather, to build on new ideas works. Uh, and I get a lot of critic when I say that in certain rooms because it feels too soft. It's not more polyist. It's not more um, sort of hard ideas. It's a soft idea. But I genuinely think that if you introduce placemaking into areas where people feel abandoned, feel forgotten, feel misplaced, I think not only are you going to make that area attractive, you're really going to empower the people who live there mm-hmm. in, cer- in certain ways. It's not the whole solution, but I thoroughly think it's a big part of it. Yeah, it can help a lot to bring people together. So how is it going now during the COVID? Are you able to do? Well, I think something that I've tried to focus on is that I told myself when I, I think we all have been through various stages of changing up our lives this past year. And I think when this was about May, June, when I realized that all the things that we have planned for 2020 are going to be canceled. I told myself that it was okay to be a little bit bitter about it, but also use it as something positive. Because if you are able to instrumentalize these negative thoughts that I was having into something positive, something different comes out. And so I told myself, come what may, uh, but after this period, something different is going to come out. And I couldn't think the way I normally think in terms of projects and planning. So I challenged myself to think differently. And uh, as an example, I think we have done a lot of positive things with areas, with places, but we've, we've never quite been the prime stakeholder. That, be, that, is, that, that means that when we activated space, it could have been space that we rented from the county, from the city. It could have been private space that we did either through renting or as a project in collaboration with a real estate uh, owner. And my primary focus now for my company is to also own the land where we operate uh, because it allows us a long-term perspective. So obviously that changes how we have to approach the future. Mm. We need to attract capital. We need to uh, uh, sort of repackage our yeah. offer in terms of uh, what, we can, what we can do. But something that I've realized the past year is that we have the credibility to do it. We've done it for so long for so many people, and we've done it uh, altruistically. That is to say, we've done it... Uh, selflessly and that has given us the social capital to uh, to take this step forward mm-hmm. so being playing a more active part as an altruistic 
real estate uh, player in the future. I think that's that's what's come out of this for me. Mm. If it's going to happen, I'm not sure, but it's uh, uh, it's a path as good as any other. Yeah, you will try and see if it works. Great. Frederick, you have been in so many different countries, cities. What is your favorite public space and why? Oh, I have so many favorite public spaces. Uh, Tell me about one that you would love to be there maybe every day. There's a place in uh, 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 the city of Cadiz, uh, southwest Spain, which is called uh, Plaza de la Candelaria. Uh, it's a tucked away park in, in central Cadiz, which has these uh, trees that were uh, uh, that traveled all the way from uh, from South South America after the colonization. So you have these birds who only live in these trees, uh, parrots, in this park that no one really goes to except for the tranquility of it all. It's tucked away from the sort of tourist areas. So all you hear are parrots and uh, people, people just slowly and uh, leisurely conversing and reading books. It's one of the most tranquil places that I've ever encountered in a city. Wow. I never heard about this place, actually. And also, I, I, I actually thought... just thought of it now. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not prepared for this question. So I know, I, I know. Uh... Because usually I, what I get from people are Central Park, you know, the very well-known uh, parks and public squares and so on. But this is what was, how to say, surprising for me. It's, um, but also, I mean, I'm, I, I'm very much a Stockholm patriot. I have my nooks and crannies in Stockholm as well. There's one, uh, there's one park uh, on uh, on my island, which is uh, the south central island called Södermalm. Uh, we have a lot of community gardens in, uh, in in my area, and in this community garden, there's actually a little park tucked away. It's only I'd say fifteen by fifteen meters, and it looks towards the water. And the only people who go there are uh, people. Well, not the only. Most people who go there are people with kids, and it's very close to the local hospital as well. So it's become sort of uh, where you take your uh, say, uh, where you take your relatives when you're uh, when you're hospitalized, and uh, it's just it's a very different vibe from from other parks in uh, in Stockholm. I think, especially expats, can relate to when you move to Stockholm. You realize that people don't really talk to each other. Mm-hmm. They do, but it takes a little while. Yeah. In this park, everyone talks to each other. <laughs> Is that if you if you want to go into hiding like that other park in Cadiz, don't go to this park. It's uh, uh, you go there and 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 you barbecue. You better share, or pe- people will definitely share your food with you. Mm. It's a very it's a very non Stockholm park. <laughs> <laughs> so, Frederick, if I ask you, like, what elements that brings you the fire on you, the energy you like? I know people. Meeting people is one of the elements that makes you really on fire and energetic. What are the other elements? I think, to be honest, now I'm I get more energy almost from watching the interaction that I create through my projects. I have this uh, rule of thumb because whenever you're in a project and you launch it on launch day, you it's it's chaos every single time, especially if it's a large one with over yeah. say hundred thousand people. 
But I always allow, allow myself five minutes where I go to some almost like an elevated position a few hundred yards away so I can sort of look from a distance at what I've created. And I allow, I allow, my, allow myself to, regardless of how it's going, it's, it's usually madness, but I allow myself a five-minute mental break just to sort of watch what I and my team have created just through an idea. You can sort of watch this physical yeah. space. To enjoy it, and it's and it's it's amazing. And then I go back into chaos mode again. But those <laughs> for those few minutes where I can relax and just see what you can create through an idea, really, really drives me. And what drives me now is that I I'm humbled and fortunate to have launched quite a few of these uh, projects now. So my my main drive now is to uh, pass this drive on to future placemakers and really help them in, in their first steps of becoming an organizer uh, and contributing to your community because I, I, really, I can really see it in their eyes when they see something that they created for the first time and it's a, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you think we will have many placemakers in the Nordic in the future? I think I'll I think we will have people working with what we know as placemaking uh, in the future. I'm not sure if it's going to be called placemaking in the future because I think for me it's such a uh, clear, it's very clear for me that placemaking is a necessity to create uh, a democratic and inclusive space. Uh, but will it come to the point where it's no... It's, it's something that we take for granted that's actually built into the system. And what will the future placemaking activists call it? Yeah, it's going to be so, interesting to follow the story. So absolutely. Uh, but best case scenario, what we do today is going to be part of the democratic system tomorrow. But I also look forward to seeing the next wave of placemakers and what they do and what they, call it, what they, can, uh, what they can create. Yeah, and bring to the, to the table of yeah. placemaking for the old placemaking maybe would you like us to go back to like an example project of gladstad like uh, like you mentioned before we've uh, been operating all around the world and some projects are just ideas that uh, that you come up with during your travels and i think a lot of a lot of us can relate to traveling in uh, poorer countries I've, i've like i mentioned i'm a keen surfer So I try to go wherever there are waves and better better climate than the Swedish one in 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 our winter. So uh, I've been to, for example, spend a lot of time in South America and uh, uh, and Indonesia. But uh, I've some one place that's had a special place in my heart is Sri Lanka. So I've been coming back to Sri Lanka for a couple of years, and um, the third year I was there, uh, I. I debated not going there because it's. Uh, I've always come back w- with a sensation that it's a wonderful place to go, but it's so poor, and I feel that that's, I feel like I'm exploiting almost as in coming there. I'm not really contributing, but I tell myself by going there and adding to their local economy, I contribute. But uh, there's something in the travel world called leakage. That is, uh, even if you contribute as a uh, as a visitor what you uh, contribute, at th- that is what you spend on hotels and restaurants, etc. 
never really has a, a, a local economic impact. So because it's uh, foreign-owned hotels and foreign-owned restaurants, etc. So even if you would like to add, you want to contribute as much as you can, you can't really control that. So I thought to myself, maybe you can come up with a system where you can use placemaking uh, as a way to vitalize the local economy. So that being said, I um, uh, had brief chat with... Uh, uh, the guy where I was staying, uh, who owned the, 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 the hotel manager where I was staying, and uh, basically asked him if, he's, if he was open to renting out his place for a season, which he was. Uh, and the idea was that I wanted to create a surf camp which would maximize the local revenue of this village where I was staying. Uh, and my idea of doing that was that I would have only one source of income, uh, or sorry, one source of revenue. That would be to charge the uh, the guests basically for accommodation and the possibility of learning how to surf and food, etc. Um, so it would be like a package deal. So say that they would pay one thousand dollars for a week. Uh, normally, if you do that to a hotel in Sri Lanka, uh, it goes into a, to an offshore account. But uh, we made sure that uh, this money was paid to this hotel owner and that uh, he would hire locally and that we would hire locally. So basically, we managed to uh, come up with a system where we could track how that money was being spent. So we could actually see how much of this $1,000 was spent 50 meters away from the hotel, 100 meters away from that hotel, Kilometer away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Wow! So each year of so we we went through with this um, and we named this Indian Ocean Surf Club. So it's actually a surf camp that's existing now in Sri Lanka, but the intellectual idea behind it is very different from your average surf camp. But uh, I actually built in this into our bookkeeping, so I could track. I didn't even have to do it myself. I could actually see. Okay, so how much is being spent geographically? And after each season, I could see to my say to myself, okay, so it seems that we have a leakage of sixty percent anyway because our uh, project managers are Swedish and they flew down, and this person here uh, is from this country and he's spending it there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so by tweaking this uh, every single year, not only have we reached zero. That being said, we have zero leakage. We actually have a positive uh, local impact on the community because the people that have worked for us have been uh, uh, locally hired from the village and they have now uh, found uh, through our training they have now found jobs at other surf camps or restaurants etc uh, while we still are able to operate so we can actually if we were if we were to track the the revenue of the village it would be on the plus side now. Wow. So it's it's basically about taking an idea of making it into more. Why is this really close to your heart and special? I think I like the way, the way that innovation can create viable change. I think it can have... I think if you allow yourself to... 
to to really see what you want to change and keep it keep it simple you can actually create change and it doesn't have to be global change you can start off very small and just work it off bit by bit and mm. um, to be honest this just uh, i like it when you can find and use innovation also as a, a commercial tool because it is a commercial project as well it's uh, it's, it's not prob- it's not a profitable one but it's I think it shows that it's simpler to change things for the for the better than people make it out to be sometimes. Mm. I think we are we feel over humbled by how increasingly hard it feels to make a social impact when in fact all all it takes is is an idea and the energy to realize it. Exactly. The the important thing the energy to make it happen. There are many ideas, yeah. but in the end, it's the energy that. And I think this this is a, uh, an interesting part as well the 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 energy of making things happen. I think as a placemaker or wherever you are creating change, you have to be humble. This idea that you have the energy to change is a privilege. It's a privilege that is given to you, and if you have it, feel absolutely blessed. But you have to. You can't judge other people for not having it and not seeing what you see. I think if you have that privilege, you're also obliged to encourage others. But you can't judge them. If you encourage them and not judge them, they will increasingly be empowered to make that change. But if you judge them, beforehand, if you think that for some reason they don't want to create change. Uh, they won't. It's it's okay that everyone's not a placemaker <laughs> exactly. trying to create change ever, and just just be humble. Tell your story and be uh, a role model and help help where you think help is being needed. But just if you try to be a good role role model and add good initiatives, people will see what you do, and they uh, best case scenario you encourage them to. F- to uh, follow a similar route in life. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a, a great way also to to finish this great episode. And I would love to hear from you three takeaway messages to all the listeners. I think one message to me is that placemaking is simple. It's something that everyone can do. It's not uh it's there are no barriers, there's no high thresholds. It's some there's something for everyone. So start at your level, make the change that you think you can have you have the capacity to do and build on it. It's the simplest and most democratic and most inclusive way of changing your community. So my second message is is about the form of how you want to be a placemaker. You will do everyone favor by considering how you can create long-term goals for your idea uh, and be mindful of your Uh, collaborators because uh, you have your own set of eyes and you want to do something and make sure that you surround yourself with people who share your vision I guess my third and uh, uh, last uh, message when it comes to placemaking is that this is the the, the realm of fun have fun doing it uh, I think There are so many things in life and in society that has to happen. And if you 
can make it happen with a smile on your face, uh, everyone's going to thank you for it. So make sure to have fun when, uh, when you're working with placemaking because at the end of the day, that is what it is to me. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, and also I want to thank you for having the smile and being here and inspiring us, Frederick. Thank you. I think I'm smiling most of the interview because I, l- I love talking about this. So I ask you so many questions. And now it's your time to ask us, the listeners, a question. Well, I think uh, a question that often arises when I do talks, uh, mostly digitally now, but when I meet people and we talk about placemaking, is the sort of the first threshold, like how can I become a placemaker? How can I do what you do? Uh, And my sort of question is, If what is like, which is the project that you want to realize? If you can envisage something that you want to change, what is? Ask yourself which project would I want to realize and start there. So it's about like thinking what are the project that you would love to to do. I think you you need to have you need to. It's okay to allow yourself to. Uh, envisage and realize your dream, your personal dream through placemaking. And it could be uh, something that's altruistic for your community, something that's very selfless, but it could also be something else. I think uh, uh, when I mean, when I was a skateboarder, all I wanted was a mini ramp everywhere. It's okay. <laughs> I think uh, uh, skate parks change, uh, change areas and minds, and it's okay if you have a dream and if you have a passion. How can you realize it and uh, work your way through realizing it? Yeah, yeah. Very interesting question. By the way... Uh, Not so much a question, more like... Uh, more it's like thing. a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Frederick, you mentioned again the skateboard. I, want, I would love to ask you, what are your hobbies? Apart from like being in politics, negotiate and so on, and also doing placemaking. What do you do? Well, I uh, have... Uh, a daughter who's a year and a half old and I have one that's 15 so there's a great big gap in between <laughs> there uh, so I have hobbies and I have ideas but uh, time not so much <laughs> <laughs> but when I do find the time I uh, what's absolutely top of my list is to go surfing uh, I do it year round in the winter time also in Sweden I uh, go skateboarding when I can I go snowboarding when I can Uh, I go mushroom picking like all Swedes do in uh, September, October, November. Wait, wait, it sounds like mushroom picking for the people who are not from Sweden. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is very safe. This is uh, non-hallucinogenic It's not like a picking. Super Mario. <laughs> no, it's uh, porcello mushrooms and uh, chanterelle mushrooms, etc. We... They grow wild here. Yeah. We, uh, we haven't yet... We, we're yet to identify the the... Uh, the more pleasurable mushrooms in the Swedish woods. Yeah. Great. So thank you so much. So after you leaving this podcast studio, what going to be your next step? Um, well, it's it is an interesting year. Uh, I think for me, I'm in so many processes with regards to COVID, but basically focusing on the same question. When can we open? And to me, that's sort of setting the pace for the spring. But um, I hope 
to come back to you uh, when we meet again and tell you that maybe some of these dreams that I've had for uh, finding uh, a few products I own when when Glad Stad actually is coming and owns land and becoming a real estate developer is going to come through. I think that's my my uh, commercial goal in 2021. Yeah. From the political side in 2021, I I just I I just hope that we can get through. 2021 i think i want to be there for the small businesses who are really struggling and i want to be there for the people who miss going to concerts and uh, basically just make sure that uh, we have voices of reason but also voices who are looking to support any initiatives safe to open up uh, the world again well frederick wish you all the good luck with your projects and hopefully see you again in the future. I'm very honored to have you here. Cheers and thank you very much for having me. I feel equally honored. Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.